Welcome to the Hockey Hits Podcast. Depth's been concerned. The bottom six for the Penguins has been pretty awful all year long. And a big part of that is uh, Bo broke his wrist in November, and there was really no replacement for that given the lower salary cap this year kind of tied Shiro's hands. So losing a, a talent like Bo that has uh, caused the Penguins a lot of issues and having him back tonight scoring a goal and, quite frankly, being the best forward on the ice for them is a, is a big boost for them. Yeah, um, he, he looked impressive in that he wasn't scared to go into the corners, go along the board. He even initiated contact himself. So it was one of the things um, I think he picked up when he went back to Wilkesbury Scranton was to make sure he was physical and involved in the game. So he, if he's going to get hurt, he's going to get hurt. It's pretty simple. Yeah, and he's had some unfortunate luck with that. I don't think it's had anything to do with how he's played or what kind of player he is. It's I think it's just been bad luck in, in that regard for him. Um, he has great hockey IQ. He has great puck skills. His skating, it shouldn't take long for him to get back in the swing of things because obviously he's with a wrist injury. He's been skating this whole time. It's just going to be a timing thing. The NHL game moves at a much quicker speed, uh, but tonight he kind of showed that he's he's up to speed. He was he was the best player on the ice. I watched the I watched the Columbus Blue Jackets broadcast and they were extremely impressed with him. They, every time he had the puck or was on the ice, they noticed him. So, you know, it's a bit different when you're watching a, a, a Penguins broadcast because obviously everyone's aware of the fact that he's come back from, from the, the injury and the impact that everyone's hoping he has on the team. But um, the Columbus guys are extremely impressed with his, his puck knowledge and the fact that every time he was on the ice, something positive happened to the Penguins. So if he can keep, keep going the way he is, he's got, what is it, eight games left now or, or seven games left now before the... The playoffs start, so he, he should he should be peaking at just the right time, which would be nice for him. Yeah, that would be a nice boost for the Penguins. Uh, hopefully he can keep it up. It is just one game, but it was pretty good game for him. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good game for anyone when you think about it. Yeah, I think at one point in time during halfway through the game, he, he was on the ice for 14 Shot attempts four and only one against, and that's pretty remarkably I good. I saw you post that on Twitter. I thought that's where I got that from. Yeah, he was pretty, he was pretty dominant in all facets. So you move, you move through the lineup, and you go. All right, Malcolm won't be back until the playoffs. You've got Latang, who everyone seems to think won't be back, and I would like to stick with that. Gotch is out now until, well, probably a week, two weeks into the playoffs, but I honestly think he'll be out for six, not three weeks. Um, and then you've got Martin to come back. So you're going to have a Penguins team that is not match ready to then go and play in the toughest tournament for the next, what is it, six to eight weeks? Doesn't look good. I like their chances a heck of a lot better with those guys in the lineup being rusty than the options that they are presently putting out there right now, that's for sure. Uh, that's a, that's Uh, the defense core that the Penguins are putting out there right now a lot of them do not possess what I consider a high caliber puck skill 
We have the Robert Bertuzzo's, Derek Englund, Rob Scuderi, Brooks Orpik. None of them are known for their um, puck skill prowess. And I believe in the Stanley Cup playoffs, when everything shrinks down, defense is at a premium. You need guys that can move the puck and fit it into small spaces and, and get your forwards moving through the neutral zone with speed because without that, you're just playing chip and chase, hoping for luck. You need those controlled zone entries so that you can generate offense. You need to hit Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and uh, guys like Chris Kunitz with speed. And they're not going to get the puck on their tape, on their forehand with speed when it when they're collecting it off the glass or off the dasher from unskilled puck plays. So when when the penguins are flying, you'll notice that the defender behind the net passes it to the half wall and whoever it is on the half wall just chips it out to the center while the player coming from the center position flying up through the through the defensive zone into the neutral zone. That's when they're flying. I haven't seen them do that in the last probably month. They can't. The, the, they rim it around rather than pass it straight to that guy on the halfboards, and there's no speed coming out of the zone. And because of that, you'll see Crosby doesn't get as deep in the zone. UC Jokinen definitely doesn't, particularly now that he's playing centre. He should be deeper, and he's not getting that deep anymore. And then you see guys like James Neal, who's not a puck carrier, will come down and try to carry the puck out of the zone. So losing. Martin, and I use Martin more so than Latang because Latang skates the puck out of the zone more so. Losing Martin, who, as you said, can make those passes in tight, in close, and create space to allow speed through the neutral zone, is going to change the dynamic of the team. I mean, Simone Dupre has shown that he can do it. He's prone to a few errors, and then he gets benched or up in the press box because of those errors. But it's one of those things where if Bosman doesn't turn the reigns, for want of a better word, over to the puck movers. So you've got Marta, Niskanen, and Despray at the moment in the rotation. If he doesn't let those guys move the puck, then the, the team just slows right down, and it's much easier to defend when they've got no speed. Yeah, and it's not just puck skill. It's foot speed and the ability to be agile moving around, and I believe the guys that have the puck skill also are the ones that are able to move around quicker to create that time and space. Yeah. And even Martin, he, he skates well, and and he's able to create that time and space doing that. I just don't I don't see him skate the puck out of the zone like you do with Latang. Latang gets it and just skates through everyone, like Eric Carlson does. Same sort of thing. I just get the puck, and the, the two of them just go. Martin only skates it out if he has no other option. Yeah. And that's pretty difference between the two of them. Latang uses his physical abilities, um, Martin uses his brain, and then uses his physical abilities second. And maybe Latang will learn that over time, that he doesn't have to do everything with his physical talent. He should be able to use his his mental ability. And he, he's not a dumb hockey player. I know he makes dumb mistakes, but he's not dumb. He just he cheats. He gets lazy in their head because his body can do so much. Who knows? Maybe this maybe this stroke will make him reassess how he goes about playing his hockey. Well, he's a freak. He, yes. he He's incredible. He's as physically gifted as a defenseman could be. Um, he's, he's dynamic. He's the definition of a dynamic hockey player. He can make things happen by himself, does not need to lean on the assistance of others to make that happen. 
But perhaps, as you alluded to, maybe he should at times lean a little bit more on his teammates and just make that simple 10-foot play. But I'll, I'll be so happy to see him back just in general because the Penguins desperately have missed his services so far this year. During it's, amazing. it's amazing how many Penguins fans um, really want him back now and they were just the same ones saying that they want to trade him off. <laughs> you, know I mean? it, it's, you can't win when, when, you, when you, you're a player like the tank because everyone can see the talent there. Um, and while you're there making mistakes with that talent, you're terrible. But then as soon as your talent's gone, everyone wants you back. So um, it, it shows you how important he is to the, to the makeup of the team. Um, moving on from the Tang, uh, Oli Mata had his first game off for the year, I think. I think he's played every game up to um, today. Uh, and it was about time he got some time off. Uh, he's, been, he's looked gassed the last couple of games. He's, he's been one of the best Penguins defensemen the entire season. He's been steady, calm. He he plays a very simple brand of hockey, but he does it extremely effective. He does all the small things correct. His gap control is always fantastic, and that's a huge part of having success at any level of hockey, but especially in the NHL when you're going up against uh, some speedsters that can fly down the wing. But you're right. He's very young. He's 19 years old. He's coming off uh, junior hockey last year. And this year he's playing heavy minutes for the Penguins. Olympics, it's it's not really surprising to see that he could, you know, be suffering you, from you pay some fatigue. To, you pay more attention to the detailed stats than I do. His, his minutes haven't gone up, have they, in regards to the actual volume of minutes. It's just the difficulty of his minutes has increased because he's having to play more minutes in tougher spots. Yes, and, and it's not just playing against the opposition's better players. It's they used Ali Mata as the magic potion to solve whatever defensive woes they've had this year. Yep. Oh, That's Brooks right. Orpek, you're playing crummy. Okay, Ali Mata, you're going to go play with Brooks next game. Oh, Scuderi, you're having some issues. Okay, Ali, go play with him. And, you know, it's amazing to think that a 19-year-old is being thrust this these responsibilities, but he has, and he's done a really nice job yeah. with it. But at a certain point, you know, he's, he's still he's a young, right. growing player, <laughs> and he's never had this kind of workload, and... You know, the injuries have a lot to do with that with Martin and Latang out, but, you know, it's understandable why he may be losing a half a step right now. It's just one of those things where you go, I kind of wished when they got back from the Olympics that he got some time off then, whether it's easier minutes or, or something like that. But you're right, they used him as that magic potion. Whenever, you know, someone was playing badly, he was the person that went to cover him up. I mean, he he's done the same for, for Niskanen this year as well. You know, Niskanen's been great, but Niskanen has Niskanen moments where he loses self-confidence and he gets shaky and they just throw Marta back over there with him and then all of a sudden Niski was fine. Um, it's, it's just interesting to see how it works. I mean, they had, in today's game, they had the spray playing with, England pretty much the, the entire game and even the spray because he's similar with Latang in regards to his skating ability for his size he can cover he can cover up on errors and stuff like that that have been made by um, 
you know, England in, in Bortuzzo. It's one of those things where you sit there and go, the young guys can do it. If you'd spread the workload out for the spray earlier in the year, he'd be fine by now. But he's still second-guessing himself at times. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that's enough about the Penguins, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. All right, so league-wide injuries. We're coming up to the end of the year. And we're starting to see some bodies break down. Bobby Ryan yesterday had surgery on um, a sports hernia, which is something that uh, I've written about before due to the fact that Brooks Orpik's gone through two of those surgeries in the last four years. Um, Longo went down with a soft tissue injury. Um, it just seems as though one of the reasons why people don't like the Olympics, this is it. You get to the end of the year, condensed schedule. Teams are really obviously fighting half of the playoffs and players start to go down. Um, I don't think there's a solution to it unless they shift the Olympics to a, a different time of the year, to be honest. Well, they, um, well, they um, back in the day when Gary Bettman first took over, I believe he did lobby for the Olympics to actually be during the Summer Olympics, not the Winter Olympics, but they, they shot him down there. Gave that the kibosh pretty quick. So... What do you think of the new playoff format? Um, I don't like it. Which I part? I I don't like the first two rounds strictly staying within the division. I think there's too many things that can... You know, if you're in a division... For example, the Pacific Division. You know, you're San Jose and Anaheim are battling it out pretty much to see who's the lucky one to get Los Angeles in the first round, and then <laughs> and then you move on, and you're going to face another powerhouse in the second round from within that division. And I don't know. It's one of those things where. It wasn't broken. Don't fix it. But didn't they try to do it to create rivalries? Obviously, you play everyone in your division a bazillion times, you then get to the playoffs, and you have to play them again. For, for me, it just feels like it's overload of, of all the same teams. I mean, you can't recreate um, you can't recreate rivalries at times. It's like you know, the Pittsburgh Philadelphia one's probably the easiest one to use as an example. You can't recreate that artificially by just making teams play each other all the time. It, it doesn't happen. It has to. It has to happen organically. It's like you look at Vancouver and Boston after that one Stanley Cup run. Those two teams hate each other now, and that's where that rivalry's come from. It, it, every time those guys play each other, it gets it gets a little bit more intense, even if it's you know in the first week of the season or the last week of the season, and. The league didn't create that. That just happened. You can't force rivalries through playoff series just because you, you play each other all the time. Well, they even uh, Vancouver, Chicago, for example, they're not divisional opponents. They they hated each other for the few years uh, few years back. And I well, look Pittsburgh, Boston. They they don't like each other much right now either. But you can't get a Pittsburgh, Boston series until the conference finals now. It, which is which is baffling because you'd want to, if you look at it and you go, what are, in in the East? What are the teams that that you class as having rivalries? Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. and then you'd go, um, 
New York and who? Philly. Jesus, Philly, there's a common thing. Yeah, yeah, Philly Philly's a, does a great job at getting under people's skins. Yes, I, I, yes, that's a very good point. So then you, you go west. I get the, the Anaheim, LA, and San Jose thing. The fact that those guys are all reasonably close to each other geographically makes it very easy for those series, when they happen, to, to erupt. But if someone just goes through their, their playoff series this year and, and rolls the other team over, because you know all the teams are absolutely knackered out in the West because they're such a good it's such a good conference. You get there and go, well, that playoff series meant bugger all. So they've tried to force a playoff series and it just fizzes. It's not gonna not gonna happen. I'd much rather see a one to eight format like it used to be, um, but not have the division winners get the top three spots. It should just be one to eight, best record to the eighth record, and just match them up away they go. Yeah, I agree, and and not for nothing. It's a it's a heck of a lot easier for the, for the fans to follow that. This wild card format, you you got eight teams still, obviously, but one wild card could be crossing over divisions, playing the top seed, depending on how many points they have, this, that, and the other thing. It, I don't know. It and then that flies in the face of the whole divisional playoff thing, anyway. Having that crossover with that team that's that's ranked eighth. Yeah. Um, it, it just it makes no sense. I mean, if Columbus squeak in, they'll be the team that crosses over to play Boston. So you get there with it, and you go, "Well, that makes no sense. That's not an in-division, in you know, in-division game. That's that's cross division." So it's like, just if they were going to go back to this, they should have gone back to the old, the old divisions back in the, back in the eighties and the nineties. That would have been more fun for me. They were never going to do it because of the travel, but that would have been. For me, that's the way I would have gone for it. I would have gone back that far and had the, the old Patrick division and, and all those sorts of things and done it that way. I'm, I'm not so necessarily sure that they shouldn't just eliminate divisions altogether and just do the two conferences straight up. I can't see them doing that. No, they won't do that. But, I mean, does anybody really – I don't know. The, Penguin, the Penguins are winning the Metropolitan Division right now. D- does anybody care that they're winning that division? No. No. But if they were chasing Boston down, well, they are trying to. They're not going to catch them. But... Not anymore. No, not anymore. But I don't know. I the, the travel, the way it is now, you don't need to keep things so close. I... I I would just have two conferences, balance the games between all the teams. I, I think it's good for hockey for all the cities to see those players come in and out of town more often anyways. So If you change if you changed it away from divisional and just went conference to conference, that'd mean at least then that east and west would be able to get out to each coast twice a year rather than once a year. So, you know. Anaheim would be able to get to Pittsburgh twice, so the, the Penguins fans would be able to go get to see Getzlaff and and Perry and, and, and you know Solani on his final tour of duty twice, rather than only getting to see him that once. It, it they get for a, a league and a sport that's trying to obviously spread the wealth and and try to get it out there that it's a great sport by not having teams cross pollinate more often. It, it's like less people get to see the spread of what's going on. It's just it's baffling. At least in with the current setup, 
I'll give the current setup this. They've at least guaranteed that every team will play in every arena each year now. And I do like that. So, yeah, I'll give them that. All right, would you like to cover off anything on suspensions? I would like to, in particular, with the fact that James Neal should have got suspended and didn't. Which time? Uh, the most recent one against Detroit. <laughs> yeah, they. Um, no surprise, the NHL dropped the ball with that one. Um, they love to base things off of injury, and Neal didn't hurt Glenn Denning, and. Thus, no suspension. And when you base things off of the injury aspect, you're not really deterring anything. You need to start punishing based on the act itself, not the result. And James Neal is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be up to the league. It's going to be up to the Penguins to do what they did with Cook and tell him if you don't change, we'll trade you. Because he's... He's going to cost the Penguins a, a playoff series at some point because he'll do something, the league won't suspend him, but the officials will punish the team after that because they know that what he did was wrong. It, it's pretty simple. I don't, I don't understand why the league has set the precedent that injury is, you know, 80% of the decision-making. And then the 20% is, well, how much do we suspend for? Just because someone doesn't injure someone doesn't mean their act was irresponsible or dangerous or anything like that, you sit there and go, all right, so you want to get headshots out of the way or, or you want to make sure that, you know, spearing's done, not done anymore, you've got to try and cut those things out. I only thought of spearing them because of David Legwand, but seriously, that was a butt into the nuts. That was um, that was a bit different. Yeah, yeah, that, that was pretty dirty in its own right. But I... I support, obviously. I think the Penguins should sit him down because he's had many questionable decisions in, you know, the last few years. But at the same time, you know, this is on the league. But it shouldn't be on each team to sit their players down. They wouldn't have to sit them down. If, if you hand James Neal a 30-game suspension for kneeing Brad Marchand in the head, we're probably not dealing with James Neal cross-checking Glenn Denning in the head because no, the that's... message would have been sent loud and clear. 30 games? I don't know. Yeah. How much of that is a $5 million? Yeah, that'll sting. That's like... I the working out the math on that one. Yeah, it's it's enough to where he, he'll notice it. Trust me on that. But, you know, they, they, they don't want to... What I meant by the Penguins needing to sit him down is that I, I don't need them to sit him down and, and suspend him. I need them to sit him down and make sure he understands that by him doing this, the Penguins are going to lose out. You're right. It's not the Penguins' job to sit them down and suspend them like they had to do with Cook because the league didn't do the right thing. But they need to sit him down and talk to him like they did with Matt Cook and go, dude, you've got to change the way you play. You're going to cost us down the track because if you don't get fed up with it, uh, it, you know, if someone does what you do to us, the league doesn't do anything about it to us. It's payback. You know, NHL is famous for it. Yeah. Whether it's the officials or the players that do it, there'll be retribution. And it's like, if the league's not going to do it, then the Penguins have to sit him down and, and get Neil to understand that he's no good to the Penguins doing what he does. I do agree with that. 
and who's to say they haven't uh, had that conversation with him since that Red Wings game, um, he, especially with the injuries that team's dealing with right now. How could they not sit him down and say, we, we can't be losing you to, to this nonsense? No, that's a good point. Actually, speaking of injuries, Detroit. Will they or won't they make the playoffs? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, sure, they're Detroit. They'll find a way. I know that's a pretty lame answer, but um, I think Columbus will make it, even though they lost tonight. I think they have a so good thing going on. Who doesn't make it, then? Toronto, Washington. Uh, who else is in the mix there? Because you, you, at the moment you've got Philly, New York, Arena, and you've got Boston, Montreal, and Tampa that are in. So you're saying Detroit will make it and Columbus will make it. Um, so that means uh, that before tonight, Washington would fall out. Yeah, Columbus, Detroit, Washington, and Toronto were all tied with 80 points in the standings. Uh, Toronto, I say no way. They actually have played the most games, and they're still sitting at 80 points. Plus, I just don't like the way they're playing. I think they're regressing to the mean, which a lot of people have been waiting for them to do all year long. They've kind of been a smoke and mirrors show the entire year. They've, Haven't they just written the goaltending? They, they've had great goaltending. And the funny thing is, with the Toronto media, they're trying to make a scapegoat out of James Reimer. When in yep. reality, the Toronto Maple Leafs will be, they're on pace to give up the most shots against ever since they've been tracking that data this year. Uh, Sounds the goal's fault, obviously. I think the other team in there was the 07 08 Thrashers. Obviously, wow. not a very good team. <laughs> but you're talking all time worst in the last six years of giving up shots and. You, puck luck is a big part of hockey, and if you continually allow the puck to go towards your net, you're going to get bad bounces going your way, no matter how well your goaltender's playing. And yeah, they true. love to give up shots. And if you're giving up shots, that also means you're not turning the puck up the other way. And they do have some nice offensive players. But yes, they do. if they're spending all their time, energy, and resources in their own end, they're not going to have that push in the offensive zone that they should have. No, that's true. Yeah, is that going to cost Carlisle his job when they don't make it? I think he should be fired regardless of how the season ends up, but perhaps, but who knows? MLSE likes to beat to their own drum. Um, the Maple Leafs organization takes pride in the fact that they don't uh, pay attention to advanced stats or anything like that. And... Uh. <laughs> You know, they're, they're kind of paying for it right now. Yeah. Okay, you get there and go, they give him the ass. Who do they replace him with? As coach? Yeah. Do you go for do you go for someone from the, the junior ranks, bring up someone new that would you would assume would be reasonably, you know, advanced stats uh, inclined? Or do you get there and go with, with an old hat that's you know, would be a rehash from the media? Well, the thing with... The person doesn't necessarily have to be advanced stats inclined. Um, the advanced stats are just 
they're not really all that advanced. It's valuing the puck. You need a coach that values owning the puck. So that with that comes valuing skilled players over, you know, garbage grit players that don't do anything. They don't drive possession. They chip it high off the glass to get it out of the zone. And all that does is buy them 20 seconds longer till the other team gets it back and, and puts it right back in your own end. Or they so chip and chase, and then, you know, maybe you win the puck battle, but most times you don't, and the puck's coming back the other way anyways. You need guys that can make plays with the puck, and you need a coach that values those players. And in Toronto's case, guys like Morgan Riley, Jake Gardner, um, those kind of players, and, and you live with their mistakes because their their ceiling is so much higher than the the unskilled, you know, chip it high off the glass at all costs player that they kind of fall in love with. The Mucker and Gronder will be gone in buggies, why not? No, but they'll be finding themselves on bad teams. The, the smart teams will wisen up, I believe, and they'll value puck skill speed strength and and that doesn't mean that these players can't play physical it just means they're good at actual hockey too um obviously if you can find these players that do play incredibly physical that's 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 a bonus the cory perry's the milan lucic kind of mold but you don't have to quite have a superstar to to get useful players that do that. It's the one. It's the one thing that I like in the nineties when they had all that expansion. You could see the quality of the league get watered down because obviously there weren't enough quality players to spread through the new team. It feels like the league's starting to top up again. It's like, like you said, those muckers and grinders that exist at the moment. They're going to end up shifting from teams that are competing to teams that are competing going for different skill sets, and then those players will shift down to the teams that aren't as good, and then as more talent comes through the league, they're going to get shifted out of the league as the new talent comes through and, and the, the talent base gets deeper and deeper and deeper into the into the league. It's one of those things where I don't want to see expansion to a 32-team competition because the quality of hockey will, will drop again. You know, the, the quality of, the, of hockey this year has, has been quite good Good to watch. It's been fun to watch. Um, you, you get there and, and add two more teams in, and all of a sudden the, the quality of, of talent gets gets uh, thinned out again, and, and we have to wait another 10 years for it to build back up, and I don't think that would be a good idea. Well, this I'll say. I think that hockey in general and I can only speak to the United States where I'm located it USA hockey is doing a terrific job of developing high skilled good hockey players I think there are more good hockey players coming up through and they're better prepared to hit the hit the ground running or skating more so than in the past. And when coaches start to shift into trusting these younger players who are better prepared to start their careers, I think um, 
I think you could add the two teams and not see too bad of a drop-off. It, it all depends on the franchise and what philosophy they have, I think. The teams that want to trust that young talent and, and promote them, I think you, you'll still see that high-quality hockey. The teams that want to stick with the old-school kind of muck-and-grinder players, yeah, you'll see a drop-off. It'll thin out a little bit, but, you know, survival of the fittest. Yeah, that's true. Well, have you got anything else you want to cover off on? Um, just to piggyback off that mucker and grinder, I think one of the yeah. biggest pet peeves I have going right now um, is the defending of unskilled players by protecting them with the label of PK specialist. Oh, he's good on the PK. And... That's just a really polite way of saying you suck at even strength hockey. <laughs> it's true. Why would you have to? Like, does anybody call Patrice Bergeron a PK specialist? Jonathan no, Taves a PK specialist? Or any of those good hockey players that happen to also play on the PK? Are they PK specialists? No, they're just good hockey players. The only time you hear PK specialist. It's because the guy literally has no puck skill. He's a PK specialist because you throw him on the ice and he'll throw his face in front of a puck. But, and that's commendable, but it doesn't mean that you know they, they do much else. And quite frankly, I don't think penalty killing is all that much of a skill. I think anybody that can make it to the NHL is more than capable of killing penalties. Obviously. So it becomes a minute management thing then. Yeah, it's, it's obviously. You'd look at the Penguins, basically, because you and I follow them. You get there and go, you're not going to put Crosby and Malkin out there because of, of pure time management. You can't have them out there killing penalties. So you could pick someone else down the roster to fill the hole. Absolutely. They're more than capable of killing penalties. And, and actually, Malkin would probably be pretty darn good at it because there is a guy that used to play for Pittsburgh who now owns them named Mario Lemieux that used to use that reach and just fly on breakaways because of that reach and score shorthanded goals left and right. But it becomes, like you said, energy management. So you do go towards your bottom six forwards to kill penalties, which is fine. But what's not fine is keeping a guy on a roster. Um, as an example, Craig Adams for pick, for Pittsburgh because he's a PK specialist, I mean, let's be honest. Anybody can fill that role. I, I just don't know why you would keep using that style of player that can't play at even strength or do anything else. I, I just don't. I don't like it. Well, I, actually, you sit there, like, Tanner Glass's contract's up at the end of the year. Is Craig Adams up at the end of the year as well? I don't believe he is. So he's got another year. Yep, it, cheap money, but I think he has another year. Because I don't think I don't think they'll resign Glass, um, which strikes one off that list. Because then you could bring in guys like Megna, uh, Gibbons, Ebbett as well. There's some guys down in Wilkesbury Scranton that fill the role the way you were suggesting it should, which is speed, some skill. 
that they can handle the puck and do stuff with it on five-on-five play, not just chip and chase. Um, but like you said, if, if PK can be taught and they've got leg speed, then they can get to the spots they need to get to. PK is just about understanding shooting lanes, getting in shooting lanes, keeping your stick in passing lanes, and understanding the proper times to be assertive where you attack the puck carrier. That's it. And I I think a lot of players are more than capable of doing that. So to, to be a PK specialist, I almost... I almost think that's kind of insulting the player by labeling them that, but that's just me. On the flip side, power play specialist means you can't defend worth a lick. The Marc-Andre Bergerons of the world. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you notice the players like Crosby and Malkin, for example, and Taves and Kane, they're not labeled anything. They're just good players. So I don't know. Uh, actually, speaking of a Mark Andre, oh. is he going to crumble or is he going to hold it together? Uh, that's a real tough one. His tr- track record in the playoffs, as of late, has been atrocious. It's been unacceptable. <laughs> but it's he's playing good hockey this year. He's he's yeah, he's, but he was playing good hockey at the end of last year as well. He was, and that's what makes this so difficult. There's no warning signs in his play right now. I mean, he played terrific tonight again. I know he had lost his previous four decisions or so, but I don't think that's been on him. That's that's kind of the Penguins' constant line to the injured reserve list that plays into that. But Revolving door. Yeah, he's... He's played well this year. That doesn't mean he's one of the best goalies in the league. That just means he, no. He's it just means he's been playing. He's been doing a good job at his position this year, and he's given the Penguins to this point everything they could have asked for. <laughs> Whether it continues, I don't see why not. He's done it before. I know it's been a little while. Um, maybe he can get a little confidence. He did start seeing a sports psychologist in the summer, so who knows if that helps at all. Perhaps it does, perhaps it doesn't, but at least, you know, he kind of saw something that he didn't like in his game, and he sought help out for it. So that's commendable. He hasn't learned how to handle the puck any better, though, so he still hasn't worked on that. No, he looks like he has oven mitts on when he handles the puck. (laughs) He's one of the worst in the league. I don't know how you get, what is it, nine years into his career now, eight years into your career now, and you're that bad at handling the puck that he hasn't worked on actually doing any better at that skill. It's amazing. He might have worse hands than John Scott. Oh, dude. <laughs> I know, low that's blow. <laughs> that's funny, but that's hard. Yeah, he, um, yeah. You know what, though? There was another goalie that was outstanding uh, that couldn't handle the puck at all, named Patrick Waugh. Not that I'm comparing the two, but to be a good goalie, you don't need to handle the puck. You just need to keep things simple. And when Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't keep things simple with the puck, he he gets into trouble. He does indeed. Well, I can't think of anything else I'd like to cover off. If you haven't got anything, that might do us for the first one. No, I think that uh, about covers it. Oh, well done us. Yes. Um, All you guys out there that 
do actually decide to listen to this, thank you very much. Um, feedback would be great. That way we can work on some stuff. If you've got questions or anything, um, flick us through on Twitter. Gunnar, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Gunner Stahl, G-U-N-N-E-R-S-T-A-A-L. Uh, mine is uh, Walshy66, so W-A-L-S-H-Y-6-6. Um, we've also got our Hockey Hurts handle, which is uh, Hockey with a capital H, underscore Hurts with a capital H. I can't be bothered spelling that out. So thanks, everyone. That'll do us for today. All right. Thank you very much.